Hey everyone, this is Prashant and I'll be your host for the VC10X podcast and today we have Matthew Weinberg with us. Matthew is a partner at Max Ventures, an early stage venture capital fund based in New York City that primarily invests in digital commerce and digital healthcare startups across the United States and Europe. Prior to his current role, he was a White House appointee in the US Small Business Administration and served as a senior advisor in the Office of Investment and Innovation. He helped drive federal programs that directed over $6 billion in capital to investment funds, early stage technology companies and accelerators, incubators across the country. In this episode, we talk about how you can get your startup funded by the government for zero dilution, what types of startups are eligible for government funding, what's the investment thesis at Max Ventures, how they add value to portfolio companies, perspective on down rounds, and a lot more. Without wasting any time, let's dive straight in. Oh wait, if you haven't subscribed to VC10X yet, please do and give us a 5-star rating if you find value in this episode. Now, let's start. Hey Matthew, so good to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. And let's start with your story. Like, what's your story like and how you started investing? Um, it's kind of a, a weird one, I think. Uh, so I started my career actually in government. I was in the Obama administration for many years. First uh, at the White House as a sort of travel staff aide to President Obama, where I got to travel around the country and, and do events for the president. It was uh, what people might call like a, a really glamorous job in politics. It's funny because that led uh, to my next job, which was in uh, the campaign of 2020, 2012, I'm sorry, the Obama re-election campaign, where I think I had one of the least glamorous jobs, which was head of selling offline merchandise. So I would travel the country and, and send you know hundreds of pounds of merchandise to a national network and uh, sell that for, for the president's campaign, which was, you know, every dollar counted then. Uh, I then transitioned into, I think, a more, you know, pertinent role to what I do today or, or more relevant uh, and more exciting for me subjectively, but objectively it was more in the investing world. So the government has a ton of resources that it has that it, it gives to entrepreneurs, early stage research and development firms, early stage tech companies. Uh, and I helped run a bunch of those programs that helped get dollars from the public sector into early stage deserving uh, private sector companies. So a uh, really interesting job. I think it, the government has a tons of resources that a lot of folks don't know about that are really relevant for entrepreneurs. So I was very lucky to work in a bunch of those programs, actually went to the city of New York and mayor's office of economic development there, and then back to DC for the last two years, the Obama administration. And then there was a certain election that happened in 2016 and uh, it changed my uh, perspective on my professional career. And I ended up leaving the administration uh, when it ended and, and the new one began and then went back and got my, my grad degree and then joined Max Ventures in 2018 and, and the rest is history. But that's sort of my quick path to, to venture capital. Yep. And that, that's a very interesting story and so many questions brimming in my head. So let's take it step by step uh, in that order. So for, first thing, uh, it, that's that's a space that not many founders are familiar with, that the, the government can also fund your venture, right? So, uh, and you've served as, as as a senior advisor in to the, to the White House in the Office of uh, Innovation and Investment, right? So... Uh, being someone who's been on the insides and knows very closely how these things work. So can you explain it for our listeners? How can they maybe get investments from the government? And how are the inner workings? How are you evaluating investments? What kind of investments are you looking for? 
uh, from the government side? Yeah, I mean, the, the broad answer is it really depends on, on your venture and, and the program that the government's you know, sort of operating at the current time. And there's some legacy programs that I'll touch upon in an, in an instant or a second, but a lot of capital is sort of directed to these uh, communities or these constituencies, or these profiles of businesses you know, really dependent on uh, like the political climate, right? So if a bill just got passed that is very very much focused on climate, there's going to be a ton of money out there for folks working on climate-related solutions. So, you know, first and foremost, I would just keep uh, apprised of the sort of political temperature you know, in the government and, and kind of what the funding priorities are in the moment. That said, there are legacy programs that I would always suggest entrepreneurs go for if they're, uh, if they're, if they're in some way, um, if they are, sorry, if they're able to access them and they're, they're candidates, so, you know, they're somewhat verified they're able to, sorry, uh, if they're able to, you know, take the time and the resources to actually apply for them because they're pretty comprehensive. And, you know, if they make good candidates, which just really depends on the specific funding, but SBIR is sort of the government's seed fund. So that is called the Small Business Innovation Research Grant. Uh, it's directed at really early stage tech companies. So companies just starting or, or that, you know, don't have too much traction, especially divided by the agencies across the government. So think about healthcare, think about education, think about um, think about energy. So Department of Energy, Department of Education, Health and Human Services, they all have their own innovation funds directed at startups. And so if you're a startup working on a project that they're articulating a need for, and they all have sort of sub-needs and sub-RFPs, uh, you can apply and, and it's non-dilutive funding. So basically it's free money. And so, you know, if I kind of detect that an entrepreneur might be uh, you know, a good candidate, I'll definitely recommend that because it's a great stamp of approval and it's non-dilutive capital. So it's, it's a great resource out there. But yeah, I would check out NSF.com too, NSF, SBIR. That to me, National Science Foundation is the most like a venture capital fund that the government has. And again, you know, you can't argue with, with free money if you're able to get it. Absolutely. So basically, uh, is it like just uh, government giving out grants for projects they're interested in or are they also taking on equity like, like the venture funds do? No equity, it's just a grant. And so the government will be like, you know, I want to fund solutions in blockchain, you know, crypto, they actually do this, uh, 5G, uh, AR, VR, emerging tech, DOD has a, a huge uh, funding pool, obviously, Department of Defense. But yeah, there's these like tech topics that are articulated by the government. And then you apply to a specific one as an entrepreneur. And if you're you know, qualified and you receive the funding, it's, it's basically non-dilutive grant capital. And then you can apply for follow-on funding. There's phase one, phase two, phase three. You know, phase two gets up to seven figures, so it's pretty substantial if you're able to net it. Although it takes a while, like everything else in government, but it's uh, it's well-meaning and has catalyzed a lot of a lot of innovation in the country. And a lot of times, focused on areas that venture capital won't even go because it's too early, it's too risk intense on the technology side. So the government plays a a big role in helping to de-risk early stage technology. Absolutely. So basically, the government is investing at the pre-seed stage or maybe even earlier than that at the idea stage as well, is it? You got it, yeah. Incredible, incredible. Like, this needs so much more uh, visibility and awareness uh, in the uh, founders, among the founders, because they're, like, struggling to get these funds uh, while offering... Uh, equity in exchange but then if you can get the same thing for free from the government right that that's brilliant right and that's what you sure. need initially in your journey right someone yeah but look it's not for every company right that it has to be a certain profile if you're selling direct to consumer goods you know or something on the e-commerce side unlikely uh, that you're going to be uh, applicable it's really for emerging technology companies which you know for what the broad spectrum of things venture capital funds you know, I, I can't name a percentage, but it's, you know, it, it's not the, the whole spectrum, right? 
but yes, agreed with you on, on your point. It's definitely a super valuable resource that, you know, I would certainly take advantage of if I could, if I was an entrepreneur and it fit the, the profile of what the government was looking for. Absolutely. Great. Uh, now, now moving and switching our focus to Max Ventures, uh, the place you're, you're working sure. working at right now. So what's the investment thesis at Max Ventures? Yeah, so we are early stage VC fund based in New York. Uh, we do have a global profile, though. So we do about 20% of our investing in Europe, primarily Scandinavia, 80% across the domestic U.S. By early stage, I mean that we're pre-seed and seed. So our average check size is around 750000 uh, up to a million. We'll make about eight to 10 investments a year. On what we focus on, it's a half is healthcare, so digital healthcare. It's not life science, biopharma. Uh, it's really focused on what are the new companies coming out today that can help expand access, uh, decrease cost, or improve quality to patients. So uh, really excited to have that as a focus. I feel like healthcare investing is, is almost impact investing in a sense, since you know it's really aimed at help, helping and transforming a very backwards and, and messed up part of our economy, which is actually 20% of GDP healthcare is. So uh, that's half. The second half is, I'd say, pretty generalist, but it's rooted in the e-commerce consumer, uh, SaaS, you know, some enterprise tech, um, but it's, it's really just us trying to find the best entrepreneurs to work with. Uh, we also incubate, which is very important. So we've started seven companies out of the fund, uh, two healthcare, two e-commerce, two SaaS, and one a community uh, network for athletes, which is actually pretty exciting. But yeah, so I think in addition to being investing partners, we're really good operators as well. So I think the first 24 months of companies lifecycle, kind of getting to that series A, you know, we like to be really hands-on with our portfolio companies. And you know, just the fact of growing seven companies, scaling them, all of them have received outside venture capital funding uh, outside of Max Ventures. So you know, anytime you stand up seven companies, you get a lot, lot of learnings, both good and bad, that hopefully you know, makes us really good partners uh, to our founders. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, let, let, let's talk about, talk about how you evaluate uh, the pitches that are coming to you. How are you evaluating potential investments? What are the metrics you're looking at? What kind of stage or growth stage they should be at to qualify as an investment? Yeah, look, it really depends, right? So we invest at the seed and pre-seed. So naturally, naturally, there aren't many metrics to go off of, right? So we're talking about maybe early contracts, maybe early revenue, uh, you know, they haven't been in market very long, uh, you know, so obviously seeing that growth, you know, if they've been on market six months, you want to see growth, some sort of growth, right? Or if it's like they have partnerships that they've contracted. I think it's really about like what's de-risking this investment. And so there's a few things. Like One is, you know, kind of quantifiable metrics. Their revenue is exceptional. Uh, the contracts that they have with their high average contract value with like multi-year clauses in them, right? Or multi-year conditions. Uh you know, it's, it's like a path for them getting to a certain ARR because they have like a really big inbound pipeline or they have, you know, line of vision, line of sight into, into pretty extensive revenue opportunities. That's one. Two is the founder, right? And that should have been number one. I think that is the first and foremost, the, the most important thing. But, you know, having a founder that you know, is a little bit of a buzzword, but like founder product fit, right? So a founder, you know, we all have good ideas day to day. And, and then, you know, when we consider incubating a company and starting one, we really think to ourselves, like, are we the best equipped to start this company? Like, do we have the knowledge, the expertise, the network, the resources, some sort of cornered advantage to you know, give us a good shot at scaling a business? And so I'm always asking these entrepreneurs, like, why you, right? Uh, and then there's also other tailwinds, like, why you? Why now? Like, why are you best positioned to scale this company and take it, you know, from a C to a Series A to a Series B and, and sort of all the way up? Um, and, you know, I think a lot of times you see companies get funded that might not have that product founder fit. And, you know, eventually it catches up to them. If there's a competitor, 
that has a CEO that is just super ingrained in the in the details and super in the weeds on what the problem is they're trying to solve. So that's something uh, I definitely look for. And then, yeah, I mean, besides that, it's like broad market conditions. You know, do we believe in the concept? Is the market big? Uh, like, what what's the competition out there? You know, but I think the, the primary two things are like, how are you kind of de-risking it from a revenue opportunity side? A little bit of that is about like market size and competition, but like really, you know, what else are you kind of doing on, on getting customers? And then two is, which should be one, is just the, the founder and, and the team and, you know, how are they well positioned to, to execute? Absolutely. Uh, the founder marketed, uh, market fit is so important at this stage, right? And uh, uh, t- talking about the value add, so uh, if, if you invest in some company, then what does the value add look like? What does the journey look like after the investment is made? Yeah, I mean, sort of the post value versus the pre-value is like is really significant and it, it's i think like where you can honestly create a lot of alpha and that's where you can kind of drive results right um it really depends first of all on the founders right so you know i wouldn't say every founder and every team has the same needs i mean they have a very diverse set of needs um i think for us just because we've started seven companies you know we're really well positioned to offer advice and, and insight across a lot of different areas whether it's hiring whether it's fundraising whether it's product development, whether it's, you know, structuring contracts, whether it's strategy. And so for us, like, it's really like generalist in the sense of what we can offer our founders, just because by fact of being seven time founders ourselves, it's sort of, you know, anything kind of under the sun that pops up, if it's within a area that we've invested in or, or operated in before, we're, we're more, most likely we'll have some, you know, constructive way to help the company uh, or kind of help, help address their needs. Um, you know, it really, it really depends. And I think for us, like getting a company to a series A is, is sort of our benchmark of success. And so anything that's needed to, to do that, you know, we're, we're sort of all hands on deck, but a lot of it is, you know, networking, introductions, um, helping with their pitch deck, introducing them to investors, helping them shape their narrative for when they go out to fundraise, doing hiring interviews. I mean, you know, we're there sourcing candidates for them. We're there helping them interview, closing them. Um, you know, really kind of strategic questions on product and, and market entry and, and sort of resource deployment and stuff like that. Yeah, but I'd say it really, really depends and it ranges, but we're very, very much hands on if, if the founders need us to be. I think we especially have, you know, good, uh, good ways to help them just because our, our nature of being uh, company creators as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let, let, let's talk about the due diligence process. So while you think that an investment is something that you would like to make, then what does the due diligence look like? How, how do you do the background checks? Yeah, background checks. Uh, yeah, so we definitely, you know, first of all, the diligence comes on the, on the I'd say, like, secondary and tertiary information side. We're like, third-party resources. It's like, you know, we're just figuring out what the market's saying about this concept, right? What's the competition? Verifying everything they say in the deck about market size. or like going through all the footnotes just making sure that the opportunity is a sound and like we're talking about companies that sort of advanced to like the sort of hard diligence stage. Right. And so we're making sure that the opportunity matches what it supposedly does on paper. So that's one, that's pretty easy. I think anyone can kind of do that. Um, you know, two is definitely like the reference checks, right? It's like, you need to have them give you references for sure. But then also you need to find people that have worked with them before that can kind of you know, give insight on their previous companies, maybe like a board member on one of their previous companies, they don't have previous companies. You want to find people that they've worked with that can really attest to their character and their ability to, you know, ultimately grow and, and manage a team and, and scale a business. I mean, you know, it's not something that everyone can do phenomenally well. So, you know, ensuring that we have good insight on the 
sort of person to person side to make sure that, you know, folks are, are going to be up for the task and up for the job and, you know, have a really good reputation and people want to work with them. I mean, that's critical. And you don't really get that from just doing research, right? You get that from actually getting references and character references. And so, you know, I like to get before I work with someone almost saturated on the information that I'm intaking, right? So it's like talking to enough people where the data points I'm getting from them start to all align. And then the conversations I, I have, you know, maybe like the seventh or eighth person, just like I'm not getting any new information. So I feel like it's like been saturated. And that's when you know, I'm kind of, I feel like I can get conviction on, on someone's character. So yeah, a lot of it is that, especially at the early stage, right? I think if I was a growth stage investor, I mean, you're doing different analysis and it's more on the quantitative versus qualitative side. So for early stage, you know, it's very much about these references in addition to just doing your homework on the market and making sure, making sure the opportunity is as big as it seems. Yeah, right. And that, that's a great approach to do it, to do it as long as it gets saturated and you keep start hearing the same thing again and again, right? Amazing. Yeah. And you have to do it fast. Like you can't, you know, that's ideal situation if you have a lot of time, but um, you know, trying to talk to many people as possible is, is definitely key. Right, right. And and what what are some exciting uh, portfolio companies that you'd like to mention on the podcast? Solving exciting problems. Yeah, well, I don't want to leave anyone out, but yeah. uh, you know, off the top of my head, maybe a few recent ones is, is Certify OS. So they're in the credentialing and licensing space. So every company, telehealth company that wants to expand geographies, you know, has has doctors or providers that are in New York and wants to serve patients in Nevada, for example those doctors need to get licensed and credentialed, licensed as in licensed operate in the state of Nevada, credentialed as in getting under a payer contractor to insure a contract in the geography they're serving in this example, Nevada. And it's a really big pain. It's a headache. And Certify OS, you know, my opinion, is the best company out there to help these telehealth companies and legacy companies that want to engage in telehealth really expand their offerings. You're kind of creating access to more doctors, especially there's a doctor shortage, also nurse practitioners, other profiles of providers too. But um, a company like that that's able to help these telehealth or, or patient-facing companies scale uh, and expand access is super exciting to me. So I love Certify. They're doing great. Um, stellar team there. Um, another one that we invested in recently is Sylvan Health. I love them too. They're expanding access to nutritionists. So building a huge network of in-network, as in, you know, covered by insurance, nutritionists and dietitians, uh, you know, very key for a population that, you know, is, isn't the most healthy in this country and is is overweight and, and has, you know, a severe, uh, you know, I think a, a severe crisis in, you know, obesity. So having access to that type of profile doctor expanding access to me is, is really exciting. And then a company that we just incubated actually that I'd love to talk about is Elion. So Elion um, is a marketplace for digital healthcare software. So we noticed that there was an explosion of software out there for healthcare and that our companies that wanted to use technology and use software uh, had a really hard time understanding and eventually making decisions with speed and conviction. And so we thought, why shouldn't there be a marketplace that collects all this information on uh, software, healthcare software out there? Uh, so sort of like a G2.com, which is almost like a Yelp for software, but we wanted to make something really robust for the digital healthcare community to find, source, and eventually purchase software. So Elion uh, is coming soon. We're doing the product development. We raised a, a good amount of capital from some amazing investors, and we just hired a stellar CEO who's uh, building the product now. So we're, we're really excited to launch that. We think that that could help technology adoption across the whole ecosystem uh, if you're able to buy, buy technology faster and make decisions faster. So we're really excited about that as a, as a sort of 
rising tide or, or sort of like a, a game changer for the industry. So if it works out the way we think it will, which, you know, we, we're, we're confident it will, but we're really excited about that one. For sure. Uh, all those all those companies sound very exciting and solving very important problems. I'll make sure to link to all those companies in the blog post that goes along with this episode for anyone who wants to check them out. Uh, besides, uh, let's, let's talk about exits. You, you've had some exits and while you're making an investment, you always have an expectation of return on that investment, obviously, right? So, so in what time frame are you looking at exits uh, in that respect? Yeah, look, it just it depends again, and I think you know just a simple answer for the seed stage: it's between seven and, and ten years. I mean, our fund cycle is ten years. Um, that's the you know, that's the sort of pre preconceived uh, timeline of of a, of a seed fund, and you know you obviously have multiple funds occurring you know simultaneously where you'll have an investment period of three years or so and then you'll raise another fund and that fund will be three years or so so they're sort of stacked across across years but yeah i mean when we're investing in a seed company you know it's about seven years even a pre-seed company could be longer but we really don't think about like the year you know we don't ascribe like a certain year to a certain company but obviously the further a company is along you know the hope the hope is that they get to an exit faster so if you're investing in a series a you obviously want that to exit faster than a seed stage company um, but yeah, I mean, like that's kind of the, the mental sort of flag is, is between seven and 10 years. Got it. And uh, talk, talking about the VC landscape. So you, you worked in VC or maybe investing uh, in both the private sector and even with the government, right? So what do you think needs to change uh, in this entire landscape of investing and VC? Um, good question. I mean, an obvious one is like who gets capital, right? So if you look at the breakdown um, both demographically and geographically, it's pretty concentrated, right? Certain demographic groups you know, get the wide majority of funding. Certain geograph- geographical groups get the wide uh, wide majority of funding. Uh, although that's changing a bit, just with COVID, you're able to access you know, entrepreneurs in different cities. So I think creating ways to incentivize more capital going to different demographic groups is, is huge and massive and, and will be, you know, make the industry, I think, function better and, and help catalyze entrepreneurship and help catalyze new business creation uh, for sure, you know. But I, I think that look, it's it's a business that rewards risk. It's a business that you know really rewards you know investing at the earliest stages. And um, again, like sometimes venture capital like, doesn't even get there, right? That's sort of the point of government to to help you know kind of step in when things are are really risky and when uh, you have emerging uh, technology that's not yet proven in the market. And so I think you know, having more relation maybe between government, you know, funding those early stage sort of emerging technologies or like super cutting edge technologies than having venture capital kind of come up behind it, um, you know, is something that I've thought about a lot. Uh, but, you know, also, also giving back, I think, is, is key. I think a lot of venture capital, you know, it, it's it's a lot of PR game, right? But it's like, how do you actually, you know, maybe think about impact, think about, you know, bringing on, you know, different sort of interns or staffers or, or how do you kind of think about your community that you operate in and, and things that you can do better to, to serve your community and not just uh not just be you know quote unquote straight investors so yeah those are things i think about but like maybe unique because i work in government and uh you know i understand the challenges if you're at a small fund and doing a hundred things at once um but you know overall uh you know i'd say like working with government more and then you know help hopefully help figuring out ways to get more capital into more more diverse uh, geographic and demographic groups. Yep, that's definitely something that needs more focus. Uh, and my last main question for you would be, uh, what's what's your take on the current and recent slump in the investment market? Like, 
uh, the investments have slowed down, the valuations are going down. So how has that impacted how you operate at Max Ventures? Yeah, it's been interesting. I think if you asked me a couple of months ago, I thought it would be all valuations are coming down, you know, from kind of that pre-IPO stage all the way down to seed investing. But uh, I think it happened in the pre-IPO stage and happened in later growth stage and started happening in series C, B and A. And then all of a sudden seed, uh, haven't seen it as much because I think that, you know, my, my theory is that the investors that typically do growth rounds or like series B and A, uh, you know, can't quite justify the high valuations or need to like support their companies that kind of maybe took too high valuation in 2021. And they need to sort of have a bridge loan to grow into that valuation and hopefully, you know, keep growing. So I think that it's a hard time to invest in potentially overvalued companies at the series A and B stage. So I think you know, they're looking for opportunity. And if it's not in that stage, they're going to go downstream. So they're going to go for the seed stage. And so I'm seeing seed stage valuations, you know, hold or increase a little bit, become more competitive. You know, even in 2021, it was competitive with your Tigers and your your soft banks. And even though they're kind of stepping out of the market a bit, um, I think there's another profile of sort of growth stage, later stage investors that are coming down to seed because, you know, one, you can still invest in hopes and dreams at the seed stage, and you know, it's still valuations that are, are TBD, that there's no evidence whether or not they've grown into it or not. Uh, and then two, it's, you know, there's really talented teams coming to market. And so if you're not going to put your capital into maybe an overvalued Series A or Series B, I mean, you might want to come down and invest in a, in a you know, really talented team at the earliest stages. It might be a good place to deploy capital. So we're definitely seeing, uh, you know, a lot more activity in the seed stage where I think a few months ago we kind of expecting that the seed stage valuations to follow the trends of the series a and the series b but i think that they're um you know even more competitive than perhaps they were uh, a year ago yeah that that's very interesting to know i didn't know that that the seed space is actually those the seed stage valuations are going up and not down in that case right i mean that's my perspective anecdotally um you know i see a lot of companies but i obviously don't see every every company so yeah i think that's my my opinion is it's a little uh, it has not reflected valuation, you know, d- decline has not reflected what I've seen in, in the sort of growth stage um, profile. Yep. Yeah. And they, that sort of makes sense also because the valuations are based on your past work and in CCA, you don't have much past work, right? To show. There you go. And yeah. then that, that's why you kind of go on the same slope, right? Right. So let, let's move on to the rapid fire round, wherein I'll ask you five quick questions about the fund and you have to give five quick answers. Good for it. Okay, cool. All right. So the first one is sectors and regions you invest in? Oh, we invest in um, health, digital healthcare, I'd say digital commerce, e-commerce generally. Uh, and we invest in Europe, Scandinavia primarily, and then the US. Got it. And what stage you typically invest in? Pre-seed and seed. And we also incubate companies. We've started seven. Got it. What's the typical check size? 750K to a million. And where can founders pitch you if you're open to cold? One more time. I'm sorry. Uh where can founders pitch you in case you're open to cold? Oh, sure. Uh, yes. My email is matt at maxventures.vc, M-A-T-T at M-A-X-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot V-C. And yeah, happy to have you share that. Got it. And where can our listeners follow you? Um, I mean, my favorite uh, is, is LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn or I'm at, at Matt J. Weinberg on Twitter. Got it. I'll make sure to put all the links in the show notes below so that our listeners can get there easily. Thank you for coming on, Matt. It was a pleasure hosting you and happy investing. Thank you so much. I appreciated it. And uh, thanks for the invite and looking forward to staying in touch and you know, getting getting the, the recording. And um, yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure.